Welcome to The Struggle is Real, a show for 20-somethings that are trying to figure out adulting. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Each episode, we focus on solving a problem that we will face throughout this defining decade that wasn't covered in the classroom. This could include topics about our career, health, relationships, and money. Let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Welcome into The Struggle is Real. I'm your host, Justin Peters, and man, do we have a story for you today. Today's guest is former NFL offensive lineman Marcus Ogden. Marcus played in the NFL for nearly six years. He was drafted in 2003 by the Jaguars and went on to play with the Ravens, Bills, and Titans. While he was with the Ravens, Marcus played with his brother, Pro Hall of Famer Jonathan Ogden. While his NFL career ended in 2007, this was only the start of Marcus's roller coaster life story. After leaving the NFL, Marcus went through a stage of depression while he struggled with an identity crisis. He picked himself up and started Caden Premier Enterprises, which grew to the largest minority-owned subcontractor in the state of Maryland. Life was good until a bad business deal sent Marcus's business spiraling into bankruptcy. Marcus was left with $400 to his name. He swallowed his pride and former NFL player and eight-figure business owner took a job as an overnight janitor, making $8.25 an hour. After a rough ending to one of his shifts, Marcus decided it was time to reinvent himself again. But before he could do that, he needed to look back on his life choices and own the fact that his decisions, not someone else's actions, led him to his current life situation. Today, Marcus is a two-time author, keynote speaker, executive coach, and corporate trainer. Marcus's story is an inspiration, and I hope to illustrate the power of accountability and ownership in this episode. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with the former NFL player, overnight janitor, failed and successful business owner, Marcus Ogden. Marcus, my man, how are you doing? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself? You doing all right today? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to this conversation. You're an interesting character. Um, you played in, as, as the audience knows, you played in the NFL. And you also had a brother that played in the NFL, um, actually a pro Hall of Famer. Um, how was it like growing up with Jonathan? You guys were six years apart, so I'm assuming there wasn't as much competition as some siblings would be. Were What was the relationship like between the two of you? Our relationship was great. Like you said, Justin, he's six and a half years older than I am, so we didn't have a lot of the competition stuff. We didn't have any of that kind of going on. Uh, you know, he supported me. I supported him. You know, he went to UCLA to play college football. Thank goodness he was able to come back to the D.C. area when he got drafted by the Ravens in 2000 or in 1996, which was awesome. You know, going to see him play with the Ravens and watching him and everything else was fantastic. But really, for me, having a brother who had that type of pedigree in football having that resource available 24 seven to help me with my football game was absolutely immense because it helped me to propel myself from being a, a high school athlete to a college athlete to an NFL athlete. Hmm. What did you notice through observing him that differentiated himself from other athletes and the caliber of person that makes the NFL? His work ethic was one of the best. He trained and had a lot of great discipline in the weight room. But what my brother did very well, a lot of people don't think about or realize, was he's a great student of watching film. And he was really big, Justin, on breaking opponents down and what to look for, tendencies. And that, along with his God-given ability, size, and strength, made him a phenomenal football player in the National Football League. Hmm. So did the two of you go to the same high school then? 
So he went to St. Albans High School in Washington, D.C. I went to St. John's in Washington, D.C. So he went to school and we both were in Northwest D.C., but St. Albans was more, uh, a little bit more of a higher up as far as price range. It was more of an IAC school. So like uh, my brother was like St. Albans, Bullis, uh, Georgetown Prep, a lot of like presidents, you know, children went to like some of the schools in that league. And then I had St. John's in the, in the WCAC, like DeMatha, Gonzaga, a ton of great athletes have come out of that conference. Um, Chase Young for the Redskins with the DeMatha, WCAC, arch rival. Dwayne Haskins with DeMatha, arch rival. Uh, you know, we just had a lot of athletes play in that WCAC league which is probably one of the better ones in the country. And uh, that's where I went to school for St. John's. Gotcha. And did you know, was it obvious that you were going to play um, football in college and potentially had a chance at the NFL? <laughs> Absolutely not, Justin. I got one scholarship offer to college. That's it. Uh, to Harvard University. And I was very surprised. No one came after me and then, I said, man, my football career is over after high school. It is what it is. But Howard showed up at the final, at the 11th hour. And I was like, wow, this is an absolute opportunity of a lifetime. My dad went to Howard, played football for the Bison. So I was just so grateful and fortunate to get a full scholarship. I went to Howard University and I enrolled there and started playing football there in 1998. Nice. So what happened? Why did you only get one offer? Great question. My coach messed up my transcript. So everybody thought I was a junior when I was a senior. So by the time I was at Howard, I got a lot of offers from other colleges. And also when I left high school, I was six foot three. When I got to Howard that summer, I grew to almost six foot six. So I, I grew three inches in the summer uh, before I got to college. So I had a lot more height, grew my arm length, and very fortunately for me, that helped me get myself into a position where I could compete to play offensive tackle for the Bison. Hmm. So you interned at Merrill Lynch. Um, your initial goal was to be a financial advisor. When did the NFL come into the picture? You know, it was after my junior season when I saw my name just in a bunch of magazines and draft boards and all this stuff. And so I went to my brother to ask him what he thought. And he said, well, Marcus, at this point, you know, you really are uh, a prospect. So I'm going to tell you right now, give it your all, give it one full year. It's your last year of college, work hard, train hard, give it all you got. And then let's see where the chips fall where they may. And I did that. And I was very fortunate to get his agent become my agent, Marvin Demoff, who was one of the super agents. And as a result of that, I got invited to the Hula Bowl to play as a, uh, on, the, uh, on the Kai team. And we were coached by Mac Brown, who's now the head coach back at North Carolina Chapel Hill. And at the time he was at Texas. So I played against guys from Texas, Rice University, Florida State, Nebraska. Uh, my, uh, my quarterback was Cliff Kingsbury, now the head coach of the, of the Arizona Cardinals. He was my quarterback in the Hula Bowl. You know, played with some phenomenal athletes and great play with some great guys. And thank goodness I had a chance to compete there to show my skill sets. And I was drafted uh, into the NFL by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Nice. So that that game in particular set you up on the stage that um, showed people in the NFL that you can compete at the same level. 
Correct. It showed them that I could compete with the best of the best from the top colleges. Because back at that time, Miami, Florida State were the powerhouses. Alabama, LSU, all those other SEC schools were not close. It was all ACC. In Florida, uh, Florida State, Clemson, uh, you know, uh, Florida, I mean, um, oh God, Florida State, Clemson, Miami was a huge, you know, huge player back in the day. That's when we had like all the, you know, they had the Willis McGahees, the Ray Lewis's, you know, they, they had us an entire, you know, footprint of athletes for many years. So that was kind of that heyday. So it was more, you know, ACC, Big East were the big conferences back then when I was coming out of college. Gotcha. Um, so as you mentioned, you were drafted in the 2003 NFL draft sixth round. Um, and what was that initial feeling after getting drafted? You got to see your brother go through it. Were you there with your brother when he got drafted? And I was there. I was, I was in New York uh, at the draft. He was drafted before overall by the Ravens. I was right there in the back room, in the green room, got to see New York City with him as a young person. I was 15 years old at the time. So it was, it was fantastic. So you'd been daydreaming about that exact same moment for six, seven, eight years now. So what what was that initial feeling whenever you heard your name? So honestly, Justin was like, wow, I've actually made it. I'm here. I'm going to have an opportunity to play in the National Football League. I'm going to have an opportunity to be competing against the best of the best. And as a result of that, I was just elated that all the hard work I had done actually worked out because there's only 253 people drafted yeah actually, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do the i'm gonna do the math real quick so you got 32 times eight only 256 people are drafted every year that's it 256 you have 32 teams they all get they are there are seven rounds that's it but to to be in one of the top 256 athletes coming out of my college year for the whole country really was a testament to my coaching staff, my strength coach, and everybody around me who helped me get to that level. Hmm. That's super cool. So your initial signing bonus, I think, I believe if, if I done, done my research, 75,000, you were making 400,000 your rookie season. Was there anything you went out and bought right away? Great question. After I made the team, I actually went out and bought myself a new car, uh, an Escalade, because I was excited for the fact that I made it. And I, you know, of course, I, you know, I paid zero percent interest and no car, all the kind of good stuff. I was trying to be as far as I could about it, but absolutely, that was my one treat to myself uh, when I when I did that. Good for you. And uh, you are, it was surprisingly, um, you are pretty financially savvy. I saw a copy of your rookie season budget. What, uh -huh. what was that? What was there? I, I was so surprised that so someone in your like I had my rent, I had my car payment, I had my electric, my utilities, I had my gas, I had my entertainment, I had, you know, my miscellaneous and, you know, I had like, you know, I was also working towards a vacation money, but really and truly was my main expenses. So I knew I was spending, I would say probably about maybe per month back then around three to four grand a month. And I think I was making after tax about 10 to 12 a week, uh, no, a little bit more than that, probably about 
uh, 20, right between 20 to 25 or so a week, uh, you know, after everything. So I was just budgeting all that to kind of keep myself, you know, in that right mind frame, that right you, mindset. Do you get paid per week in the NFL? And do you, do you yes. get paid at all during the off season? No, nope, you get, you get paid a hundred dollars per day to work out, but that's it. Other than that, you get paid during, uh, you get you know, training camp and all that, everybody gets the same amount. And then when you come into the season, you get whatever your contract is, whatever your salary is, you know, divided by 17. Hmm. So you actually ended up playing with your brother for a year, two years. How long two was years. that? Two years. And, and how was that experience? Where was your brother at in his career at that point in time? So that time my brother was in year, uh, so seven, year uh, nine and 10. And it was great. It really was, you know, to be able to have somebody like that, to be able to really help me be on the same team, teach me a lot of information that I was not really used to getting. It was absolutely huge for my career to learn how to be a pro just and to learn all the tricks in the, of the trade, how to be a master of your craft. It was big for me in my life for sure. Hmm. And you ended on. You ended up playing for almost six years in the NFL. Um, when did you start thinking about potential life after the NFL? So I thought about life after the NFL. Really, when I got hurt and I ended up, you know, seeing that my game was not declining, but my recovery time was declining rapidly, where I couldn't uh, recover as quickly as I liked to, or I was used to, and the result of that it made me realize that football was not going to be forever. And at that time, I still struggled immensely, by the way. I started trying to prepare myself to move on to another part of life. But again, it was very hard because I had been playing football for so many years, Justin. It was not something I was ready to give up. And, uh, and I still did some other football, like arena football, all this kind of stuff. I did all that, you know, while I, you know, was still trying to adjust. But it was hard. It really was hard trying to have life without football be my everyday life. Yeah, I played college soccer. So I understand being an athlete and then, you know, spending the last 15, 20 years of your life dedicated to something like that. And then all of a sudden waking up and realizing, wow, this is not my identity anymore. I need to decide where the future lies for me. Mm -hmm. And and it seemed like you really struggled with that. Almost like six months of pretty severe depression, gambling, drinking, Big until time. one day you woke up and there was a tattoo. Can you tell that story? Yeah, man, I remember. So I was at that time, I was drinking a lot. I was getting tattoos and I woke up one morning. It was probably like five, four or five o'clock and and I looked down at my right arm. I said, wow, I had this huge, not just a small tattoo, like my whole right arm was covered completely with a tattoo. It said, uh, original O, my father's name, uh, had an eagle on it. And I literally just, I probably sat in the chair for about four hours, probably. I was so drunk that I don't remember the tattoo and I don't even remember how I got home. And that drive was probably 30 minutes at least. Mm. So it's amazing I didn't wreck or anything 
at that time after that. And then that's when I woke up and said, wow, okay, Marcus, obviously you got to pick either excessive alcohol abuse or tattoos. You can't have both. And I said, all right, I enjoy the tattoos because it's a family legacy and it will keep me from drinking and it'll keep me from excessive behavior. So I put the bottle down and that's when I got into tattoos because I was able to use that as my outlet for pain. And my father passed away. Uh, I lost every, you know, I had really lost football and lost a sense. I was just struggling to figure out what to do next. And as a result of that, that's when I got into construction and I still did my tattoos, but I had stopped drinking like that to kind of get myself going on a better, uh, a better balance of life. Hmm. So you, you mentioned you got into construction. You actually, um, <laughs> there's little things throughout your your life that kind of led to this moment. I think your emphasis in, in school had a little bit of construction focus. You um, got involved in a project or program in the NFL that gave you some experience there. What ultimately led you to starting Caden Premier Enterprises? So what happened was I was actually... I went to a like a little work event. It was like a networking event, trying to figure out. It was like for small local businesses, you know, in Baltimore. I didn't have a business at the time. So I just went to the event, started networking, meeting people. And I remember meeting this gentleman who then introduced me to my business partner. And we were all three going to form a business. But we did a background check on everybody. The guy who introduced us had a really bad record of theft and fraud and embezzlement. So we removed him and then started Caden Premier Enterprise with my partner and I. And I'll never forget, we started the business, Justin. It's struggle. It was kind of trying to get some traction. And I remember going to an event at Morgan State University where Congressman Elijah Cummings was speaking to the audience. And Congressman Elijah Cummings ended up becoming, shortly thereafter that, Barack Obama's really good confidant and they became really good friends. And, you know, they had a really strong relationship for many years. And I'll never forget Congressman Cummings said, someone in this room will become the next major minority contractor. Why can't it be you? And I'm never going to forget that. And with those words, Justin, I dug in, got serious, and leverage opportunity after opportunity. And we built an eight-figure-a-year construction empire in downtown Baltimore and became the largest African-American subcontractor in the city of Baltimore in the state of Maryland for two years. Hmm. So going back to your business partner, wh- first, what, what led you guys to running background checks on each other? That's kind of interesting. Well, you know, I remember just hearing from the NFL, just different people, you know, if people won't let you run a background check on them, they have something to hide. And so I wanted to do that because I wanted to make sure that him and the other gentleman didn't have anything looming, which I'm glad we did because the other guy, he did have a lot of things looming that would have been really bad for us to get into business with. Hmm. And did you know whenever you brought up the suggestion of background checks that that he was not gonna not gonna oh, pass no. the I test? Mean, I had no idea, I mean, none. And so we just did it. And then once we found out, we let him know after that. But we we start when we did it, Justin. We had no idea because we just like oh, just no, the standard, no problem. But we had a, a I mean like pages and pages of stuff within the civil court system. So <laughs> it just didn't work out. 
well, I, I, that's unbelievable. I don't know what he was expecting that that would either. get covered I up. I don't either. I'm thinking, I'm gonna, I was like, like, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> and so, but yeah, man. So, you know, it's funny you said that. I mean, it got so, it was just so crazy for that to happen. But, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's wild. I'll never forget that. It was just absolutely nuts. Mm. So you you built a successful um, contracting business. You that that la- lasted six seven six years. years. Six, six years. years at your peak. You know you're an eight figure business. Had fifty to sixty employees, um, and then things turned sideways. And maybe we can segue into that with the story mm-hmm. of your senior estimator. Can you share with that? Yeah, sure. So my senior estimator came to me in July of 2012 trying to explain to me that no sorry, it wasn't July, it was August of 2012 trying to explain to me that if we didn't make some corrections we were going to go bankrupt because we were spending way too much money on a job in downtown Baltimore and he said if we don't get out of this job site we will go bankrupt we will go broke and I'm like Colin what are you talking about we have a line of credit have all these jobs. He said, Marcus, we're not putting enough manpower on the other jobs. And we're sitting here doing a bunch of work with no money coming in because we didn't have a signed change order, but the contractor shook my hand and I, and I trusted them. Mm-hmm. And when this happened, unfortunately, Justin, I had evolved from a humble servant leadership boss into a egomaniac self-centered, arrogant prick, where everything I thought was gold. I thought I could do no wrong. I thought I was basically, you know, I was just the the best thing smoking. And as a result of that, I got into a really bad spot and, you know, it just, everything came crashing down. So that following Monday, Colin comes in, he hands me his two-week resignation papers. And like he predicted, six months to the day when he walked out, the company ended up preparing for a chapter seven complete financial bankruptcy as a result of me making some really bad decisions and getting myself caught into some really bad spots. But it all started with me being an egomaniac that didn't listen to his trusted team members and it cost me everything. Hmm. Hmm. So, and, and and I'm not sure if this story is true or not, but you guys actually had an investor on the line that was going to dig you out of this hole until your partner lied to the investor and they ended up walking. Is that true? That's 100% true. Mm. Yep. And the investor's father is a very, very well-known individual. And it was his son, who was his, it was Junior, was, his name was Junior. Well, it was, it was his son's father's name, Junior. So he was his father's youngest son. And, you know, uh, it was interesting. They were set and prepared to write a check for a couple million dollars to buy out my partner. But unfortunately, my partner didn't tell the truth. And he did not, when he did not do that, didn't tell the truth, they ended up finding out about this whole situation. And then from there, what happens? They end up rescinding the offer saying, we don't, uh, under, under the pretenses of Arthur making false statements to us, and not telling us the truth, we're going to pull this offer because we don't know if anything else that he said is not true, and we're going to pull the deal. Hmm. And that was, and once that happened, Justin, 
it was that was January. That was late January, early February, two thousand thirteen. March of two thousand thirteen, we started we started packing up. And April two thousand thirteen, we had actually uh, yeah April April fifteenth two thousand thirteen. We I officially left Baltimore at that time. Yeah, and it sounded like you left Baltimore in a hurry. Um, things came ca- crashing down real quickly. Good At one time. point, in time, you had like a couple hundred dollars to your name. <laughs> Is this true? Four hundred. Four hundred. Holy cow! That's it. And um, things were looking really, really bleak at that time. You didn't have kids, did you? I didn't. Oh, I had my so my fiance had a daughter who was my like my stepdaughter, but. I did not have a birth daughter, but it might as well have been my daughter because I was raising her. And we've been married now for, it'll be six years in May. And, you know, my daughter, Ava's like, I'm like dad, because her father lives in Taiwan. So she was my stepdaughter, but I was basically, you know, responsible, responsible for her at that time. So, yes. So you had two other people to support along with yourself. Uh-huh. What was going through your head at that time? How, how were you going to make ends meet? Justin, at that time, it was everything was everybody else's fault. My business partner, my employees, I was living a life of complete shame of always blaming others and no accountability, no responsibility. I was working at Merrill Lynch in Durham for a short time for about two months. I got fired, got a job in the next day to a construction company, was fired again. And when I moved down here, Justin, we were one week away being homeless. My wife was going to go live with her parents. I was going to move into a homeless shelter because I only, we were only dating for about four months at that time. And I was not going to do that. I didn't really know them, but because the NFL stepped in to pay some bills for four months, we were able to stay into our, our, our rental. And that's how I was working at Merrill. So I was working, had a job. I was like ready to go, but I wasn't doing well in that. So I got fired. Then I got fired by, to the, by the construction company because I was working their sales store uh, part of their operation. They shut it down and fired me after five days. And then I took a job just as a custodian, making $8.25 an hour on the graveyard shift. And that's when I had the pivotal moment where somebody's rotten meat and banana peel and spoiled milk all over my skin, my clothes, and my gloves. And I said, wow. What's put me here is no accountability, no ownership, no belief in myself. As a result of that, I literally have ended up right here on this curb in the back alley as a, as a custodian, making $8.25 an hour on the, on the graveyard shift, 10 p.m. till 5 a.m. And there's nothing wrong with being a custodian because at the end of the day, it's a job and you support your family. So I am totally, I totally support that. But what was for me was I had done so much more through education, sports, build a big business, and I lost it all. And I ended up there, not because I chose to go and work there, but because I had no choice because I made some really bad decisions around, you know, how to sustain a business. So I can only imagine you, it's four or five o'clock in the morning. Um, I, th- I think the, the story goes like you didn't see the rip in the front of the bag. And then when you th- went to throw it into the trash can, all of that came out. This is sitting on you. You're just sitting there on the curb, just looking back on all these choices that led to this moment. So what was your first action out 
out to start progressing or moving out of that current situation? What did you decide to do? So after sitting on the curb, holding my head in my hands and crying because I had realized that what had got me here was no accountability, no ownership, no structure. I went home that morning and I wrote down my three biggest strengths and I put into my, my mental computer. After those strengths, it makes the best sense for me to get into keynote speaking. And that's what, when I started- What were your three business. strengths? Great question. I was good at communication. I was good at telling stories and I wanted to help people. So I figured with those three strengths, I could build a speaking business. And, but nobody told me that speaking needs to have, you know, uh, a process. You need to have great stories. You need to be able to stay on topic. You need to be able to relate to the audience. And I work with a lot of clients now, especially on the call with one of my clients trying to help her with her speech. She has her first speech coming up on the 21st of February. And it's a lot. It's very stressful for her. She's not, she's really, uh, she's just kind of struggling with how to move and how to progress and how to make things flow for herself. And, I'm, and again, I remember those days, like my first talk, she's kind of writing out all this different stuff and all of a sudden, like, look, you know, you don't need to do that. You need to summarize, have your table of contents, have a few bullet points under each chapter, go to the next one to stay on track. But a lot of my clients sometimes just sometimes don't, don't, they really don't understand that it's really not about your story as much as the action steps you can tell the audience to help them in their lives. So again, you know, that first talk, you know, I did, you know, that first talk I did was for the Boys and Girls Club in September 2000, and I'm sorry, in October 2013. And, you know, Justin, for two and a half years, I got not one paid job. Mm. not one it was all free or no for every paid speaking job every single one and looking back on it I realized I was very desperate I was not good at marketing and my pipeline was so thin to non-existent if I ever got somebody on the phone I was trying to close the deal right away I was so desperate whereas today I have so many different people I talk to. I'm always doing podcasts and I'm always marketing. Just, you know, never stop. And because of that, that's where we're at with this point of having this successful track record of work. And so I finally got my first paid job in April, 2016. And I finally got that with Miller Mott College in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I haven't looked back since, Justin. I've worked for 19... Fortune 500 companies. I've done national, international. I have industries from football to sports to technology to uh, home improvement to food product and service to transportation and logistics. And I've been very fortunate. I do one-on-one coaching, consulting, speaking. I've written two books. But to be totally honest, everybody, I'm just a guy that went through a whole lot of ups and downs. And I'm a guy that literally hit rock bottom in what, seven and a half, a little bit, about seven and a half years ago. And I was at one point making $8.25 an hour. And now today, if you want me on stage live, I'm charging you 15 grand for the hour. And if you want me virtual, I'm charging you five grand for the hour if I don't have to leave my house. Mm. And I have had to work for this for years. Like I said, it's been set, it's been seven 
almost seven and a half years of me working in this. And it's been five years in April of this year from my first paid job to where I'm at now. So how did you not get discouraged over those two and a half years? Former NFL player, ran a successful business. The story is incredible. I'm assuming you walked into the spe- your, your, your speaking opportunities thinking, this is a done deal. I should be able to get people to hire me easily. How did you stay committed over two and a half years to, to finally get that paid speaking gig? Well, what happened, I'll tell everybody, is that you get told no so many times that it becomes kind of like your own mission to keep going. When everybody told me just I was making a mistake, go be a football coach, go work for a high school, go be a teacher. You know, I heard so much from people, go do this, go do that. I'm like, well, just because you want me to go and do something, doesn't mean I should just go and do it. I would prefer to go out and try to inspire people And I tell everybody all the time, it's about being inspired over motivated. So when you're inspired, you're all about breathing hope and life into others. And what you're looking to do is help them get to where they want to go. If you're motivated, you do something for, I call external forces and or gain, money, notoriety, fame, all these things. With my construction company, it was all about motivation and motivating factors, money, notoriety, fame. That's all I was about. Versus today as a speaker, I'm all about helping others, inspiring others, and giving them all the action steps necessary to get to where they want to go. So I just didn't want to give up on myself. Even though there were days I wanted to throw the towel in, many days, I just didn't do it. And I said, I'm working a bunch of other jobs, football training, doing 707 leagues. I was a birthday party. At, I was a birthday clown at parties. I did anything and everything I had to do. And I never gave up And I never gave up on my dream. I never gave up on my goal. And I never gave up on my aspiration. And, you know, I tell everybody all the time, you know, maybe I was crazy to keep going for two and a half years. Maybe I was. But if I didn't do it where I'm at today, who I am today would not exist. Hmm. So good. Um, Marcus, as we're closing up this conversation, I'm, I'm going to share a couple social media links and, and feel free to add um, as you please, but you're pretty easy to find on social social on Instagram. You're Marcus Ogden on LinkedIn. Just search Mar- Marcus Ogden, Twitter, Marcus underscore Ogden. And then you can um, find your, your um, website is MarcusOgden.com. Anywhere else that you would like to point people to? No, you've got LinkedIn, you've got Twitter, Facebook, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty, it's pretty simplistic. And what we're doing now is, I'm glad you asked that question. You can go to our website and we're creating, we're creating, we just created a subscription model program, right? People can pay $7.95 a month or $14.95 a month for access to content, right? The $7.95 is all about, you're going to get four, you're going to get 12 videos per month, right? Actually 13. 13 videos per month geared towards certain topics, right? Time management, like efficiency, goal setting, uh, you know, creating a vision, like, you know, how to create your blueprint, all these different talking points, you know, again, 13 videos per month for $7.95 for the month total. Or you can do $14.95, get access to that, plus 
you can subscribe to our closed Facebook group for words of encouragement. We're doing lives every week. And what I tell everybody is a lot of people just, and I totally understand this and I totally get where it comes from because it's a crazy world today. They can't afford my one-on-one coaching price or they can't afford to hire me on stage. I get it. But we create the subscription model for people who, can, who want to be great, but couldn't afford the price point of the higher level ticket price items. So this is $7.95 a month for access to all the content, or you could pay $14.95 a month for access to all the content, plus be part of our closed Facebook group to get you access and give you videos and tips. And the videos are very short. One video is like two minutes long each month. The rest are under a minute. It's not about shoving a bunch of stuff at you. It's about here's what you can do. And again, Justin, a quick action step for the day in a certain topic designed to help you get to where you want to go. So you can go to our website, www.marcusogden.com, and you can go right to the homepage and it says right there, subscription. Just hit the subscribe button, put it on there, and you have access to content every other day. It's 13 videos a month. We go on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and comes back that following Monday. So it's very much organized and oriented, Justin, to help people get on track and stay on track. That again, want to be great, want to achieve a high level of success, but unfortunately, because of the times we're in, can't afford the higher price items, we totally understand. So we create this to help people, no matter what you make, help give you information to get where you want to go. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so my final question typically revolves around teaching a class on a subject that you would like to pick, but I'm going to pick the subject for you because through research, something that impressed me so much about you is ownership, is taking ownership. You even talked about your struggle of the lack of ownership, but now you are so open to sharing your faults and where you wish you would have taken ownership. So if you had a group of seniors in their final semester of college and you had 16 weeks to teach them about entrepreneurship, what would you give them? I would teach them this five golden rules of entrepreneurship. Number one, know your business. I did not know construction when I started, which is why I failed. Know your business. Second thing, if you have one, vet your partner. Background checks, run it through the system. If somebody won't give you their social security number, that's your business partner, don't work with them. If they won't give you their social security number to do a background check on them, don't work with them. Third, vet all your employees. Whoever you hire represents your brand. If they come out looking raggedy, unprofessional, unreliable, it reflects your brand at the highest level. Fourth thing, always be properly funded. When we started our business, we were very well funded for concrete and demolition. When we became an earthwork contractor, we were not properly funded for that business, which is why when we spent that money and had none in reserves, we went bankrupt. Last part, know when to walk away. So those are the five principles of business that I live by. Number one, know your business. Number two, if you have one, vet your partner. 
Number three, before you hire anybody that your employees. Number four, always be properly funded. And number five, if things start to go the wrong way, know when to walk away. Awesome. I think that is a great place to end this conversation. Marcus, I appreciate it. Everybody go check out Marcus. Um, his book book links are down below. His social media links are down below. If you want to consume more of him, go check out his website, sign up for a subscription program. Marcus, I really appreciate you coming on The Struggle is Real. Justin, thanks for having me, my good friend. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this conversation today, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified about new episodes. If you want to connect with me, send me a message on Instagram. I'm at Justin Lee Peters. You can find show notes with links to everything we discussed today at justinpeters.co. This episode was produced by Gabby Dimeke. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Thanks for tuning in.